0: Hey guys, I'm Pauline Ponders. There's something about coffee shops that always gives me a sense of comfort and stillness. Even with the customers rushing in and out, it has always been a true sanctuary for me where I can let my many thoughts flow. It is also a place where I've connected with the most amazing people and many of those people I've met are a big reason of why I'm here with you today. Sometimes when life gets too busy, too hectic, and overwhelming, it prevents us from remembering to take a deep breath, to be still, and to be present. Here on Positive Pause and Ponder, we are doing just that join me and my guest as we talk about everything and anything and they aim to give you some encouragement and some thoughts for you to ponder on so if you're ready sit down relax and let's just ponder Hello ponders, welcome back to another episode of Pause, Sip, and Ponder. In today's episode with my special guest, Alani, we will be having a conversation about the Black Lives Matter movement, colorism, structural racism, and many more. And I look forward to learning a lot today and I also look forward to learning something about myself. I'm always open to different perspectives, internalizing situations, seeing where I can broaden my knowledge and my wisdom, and I know this is a touchy subject even though it's one of our nation's biggest issues, but I think it hasn't been touched upon enough, and I believe that there really has to be a change, and it starts with all of us, and Black Lives Matter is so much more than just a hashtag, and I believe that silence is a killer, so if you're ready, sit down, relax, and let's just ponder. Alright, again guys, uh, we have an episode today with my uh, lovely friend Alani. And I'm so, so excited that we got to reconnect after so many years. She was one of the coolest chicks I met. Um, We actually met back when i was in middle school for a asian american leadership organization and i had posted on facebook recently um during you know when the george floyd incident happened um asking if anyone was able to uh, be on my podcast who had experience talking about blm and um structural racism and colorism and alani was the one who volunteered so i'm so excited everyone um please let us all welcome my good friend alani hi everyone hi alani (laughs) how are you alani i'm
1: doing well taking things day by day as i think we all should be um yeah doing well trying to just practice self-care um balance um and yeah, that's that's basically it.
0: <laughs> no, I'm definitely on the same boat with you, um, for sure. A lot, I think a lot of people have just been taking this time to work on themselves. I think this is a great time to internalize things, and learn things about ourselves and also others. So I think even with this topic, this is something we can actually learn a lot about ourselves to see how much we know, how much we don't know. Um, so would you like to introduce yourself? Just a quick intro, uh, what you do, um, anything really.
1: Sure. So um, my name is Alani. Um, I'm from Montgomery County, Maryland, the best county in Maryland, in my opinion. I'm mm-hmm. um, a recent graduate of Barnard College. I graduated last year, uh, joined the Peace Corps, and now I'm back because um, all the Peace Corps services were closed. So I'm just back in the area, just trying to look for work. That's where I am right now. That is where I'm at right now. But yeah, I, I call myself like a self-proclaimed, like, Bookhead. I read a lot of books at once. I write. I'm trying to start start up a blog this month. Something I've been pushing on the back burner. So that's basically it. I'm just trying to use um, what I've been like privileged to learn and just to spread good vibes, information, help folks out. That's my goal. But that's what I've been doing right now.
0: Awesome. Oh, well, what was your major?
1: My major was urban studies and women, gender and sexuality studies. So a lot of just studying power. That basically was all it was.
0: That's dope. That's that's actually really, really awesome. I find it's amazing when people take on careers that are not even focused about themselves. You know, it's all for the people and um, social rights. And it's just such a selfless major as well as like other majors out there that really focus on the goodness of people and helping other people so that's really awesome i'm so glad and i'm so happy that you graduated um and i really hope that you find a job that really um is really set for that particular field what are the 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 job opportunities out there that would fit under your major
1: honestly so i think just as like a side note for folks I count like a young professional or someone going into the workforce for the first time, which is what I feel like I am. Um, definitely like what I'm passionate about studying or what I was passionate about studying in undergrad will never translate 100% into a job, especially as someone who like, I didn't study something that was technical or financy, so nothing that has a clear uh, career pathway, I think. And I think with that, um, right now, especially in this moment, just I've just been practicing being very open trying to find employment um at this point i'm like i need to get employment Mm -hmm. um and just making sure that like no organization company is perfect so um even considering the things that we're going to talk about today everything that you wish to happen or want to happen even in your own life in regards to like racial justice like there's so many structures that like cannot just be changed with one person and like me included so i even think about that in my work like even if like I can't have the quote unquote ideal work situation for myself. I'm just trying to be very open to like trying new things, being uncomfortable, learning new things, and just really going with the flow. Basically a long way to say that trying to what we're gonna be talking about today is uncomfortable and trying yeah. to figure out how to live like live with all these uncomfortable truths, um, that really do impact like your your work life and your personal life, is that they're not always gonna be perfect. Like everything will not always be in harmony and that is okay. That is why we keep learning and pushing. And yes, so I don't mm-hmm. even know if I answered the question, but I guess I've just been open to everything. It's been oh man i feel like i've interviewed for so many different jobs i didn't was not expecting me a year ago but i'm i'm grateful i'm grateful
0: well i'm i'm excited for you and i think this is the most vital time i mean it's pretty long overdue with these situations happening but i'm just glad that you're able to utilize what you've learned like all of the years of studying um, will be worth it. So that's exciting. And before we move on into the topic, this episode um, and this podcast is not and has never been a place of judgment. And like Alani said, this is a subject that's pretty touchy and serious and sensitive. And I believe I believe my listeners um, can agree that I've made this community, this podcast, a safe place for everyone while giving different perspectives and listening with an open heart. We aim for this episode to be an opportunity to grow as a community. Um, Although I am the host, I think the biggest highlight out of this podcast is my guests, for sure. Um, I always look forward to seeing the insight of my guests and their thoughts. So I please ask that you respect uh, what's being said today and we will do the same with you guys. Um, We are all... You know, we all have our own opinions and you have the right to share it. Um, You don't have to agree with everything we say and I think that's um, really important to state because I believe before taking on a stand or believing or choosing a side, if you want to say, you must learn and find out information for yourself. Uh, I just want to say love is our biggest motive here today. So yeah, let's get on into it, Alani. Uh, I I just want to talk more about again um about you. So you you are half Japanese and half Black, correct? How is how is like how is that growing up um living and being raised in two different cultures? Mm-hmm. I think
1: the one great thing I love about like where I grew up in Montgomery County is that I grew up with so many people whose parents were from different countries. And that was always like a normalized thing for me. And it wasn't until I got into college that I realized a lot of people who grew up in the States do not have that experience. And I really took it for granted. I also went to school in New York city. So I, I just, my entire life was just surrounded by like knowing that other people were like existed. And so my idea of what was American and what I viewed as American values, I think were very skewed towards heralding diversity heralding differences and heralding that this country is made from immigrants and i think just growing up multiracial that was always like very affirming to me and definitely like i was in the position where it's like i i like physically present as a mono ethnically asian american so up until my entire high school life i just kind of like i told myself I am just, no one knows what I am. I'm just going to identify as being Asian American. Like I'm not going to identify as being Japanese or Black, just mm-hmm. Asian American so I can just stop people asking me what I am. Because at that time, I just, would, I was just over it. I was so over it. And mm-hmm. I grew up primarily just with my dad, who's from Japan. So that also like was an interesting dichotomy of like, okay, my dad is raising, like I have a twin, like these two girls who are brown and a lot of like, Growing up with people questioning, um, like getting stopped at the airport, being like, oh, is this guy trafficking us? Or oh, wow. and then with my, um, I had an experience growing up with my black folks in Philadelphia, like two women stopping, I was with my cousin who was like black and a lot old, with a huge age gap and asking me like, if I was like, okay, if I was like safe. And at the time I was like 12, I didn't have the language to understand. Like, I was like, yeah, this is just my cousin. And. Mm. I think it wasn't until I got older that I realized what that looked like to other people um and like why people would think that and the problematic the problems of why people would think that didn't occur to me until much later in life so yeah it's just I feel like I've been I'm, I'm blessed to be multi-ethnic um it's it's weird it, it's at times hard trying to like feeling like I'm floating in a in a betweenness where I don't belong anywhere. That's what it really Mm -hmm. feels like. But like, I think the blessing of it and specifically as presenting as someone who's very racially ambiguous to people is that I can easily slip into different spaces and Mm -hmm. with not a lot of, I think, backlash that I feel like my sister would experience is like not presenting as full Asian or like, yeah, so we, it's interesting with us that we slip in very different circles, like racially. Like it's easier for us in different ways and harder in different ways for us and just like growing up just seeing talking to each other and seeing our own experiences and it's just it's been fascinating but it's definitely like complicated but Mm. complexity is okay it's definitely okay
0: yeah the reason why i asked is like yeah like you said you eventually grew tired of having to explain what you are and you come up to the point where you're fed up because why does it matter you know Um, people are just so curious and want to know and at the end of the day you know it doesn't really matter you know as kids uh, we don't see color as it is and and it doesn't matter to us you know a person is a person we make friends so easily back then with no prejudgments no pre uh, misconceptions about people and um, it's just really about you know My major being early childhood, like our mindset, the way we think about other people is really shaped by what people tell us or what we learn from our environment.
1: I will say that like the systems of oppression in which we live in, like all these things we're gonna talk about today, Mm -hmm. very much benefit from that process, right? Of as a child, you have to, based on just like the adults in our life, based on like our environment, what's around us, As children, like we internalizing what, of course, we learn from other people as children. And because the adults in our life or the structures in our life have been influenced by racist and oppressive systems. So Mm -hmm. I'm excited to talk about structural racism because that will delve into how that is possible. It just it just really shows how like really like racism and structures of oppression like really affect, at least in an American context, like. You're born and then you come of age into it. You you grow in it. You internalize everything. It's just a it's just a process of living in the system. And I think everyone is subject to it. Yeah, so scary. It is scary, definitely scary. But it's important that people like recognize it, identify it, and work towards changes. And that's what I'm excited that we get to talk about today.
0: Uh, I've said this in my like past episodes. How um, I don't know if you've read it, but the Four Agreements. Um, and one of the things that I mentioned is, like, you aren't really truly living the life you are destined for um, until you really know what you believe in or what you stand for. Because, again, we are just told what we should believe in growing up and, you know, with our parents and everything. But it isn't really true and it isn't really real, if you want to say it like that, until you make it your own, until you find out for yourself. Um, And my love for the Black community has always been strong, and that's just weird for me to say out loud, because it's so hard to explain what I mean sometimes. Like, despite how people or social media tries to convince me to think otherwise... With Black Lives Matter, um, some of you know, I have a brother who is half black, half Filipino, and I'm sure he feels the same exact thing that you're experiencing. Um, He's going to be a junior in high school soon. soon. And I grew up some years with a black family and had black uh, childhood best friends growing up. And no, I'm not saying that gives me any more credibility um, to what I am saying or some type of, I don't know how you would explain it like protection from society like yo like I you know those people are like I have black friends you know I'm not racist but just to share how educating yourself and experiencing different cultures and being open can really sh- you know uh, shield you from these other people's um, thoughts and and these things that they'll tell you that you should think about these people um, the assumptions and the hatred but of course I didn't want my efforts to stop there with more and more exposure to craziness as we grow up, you know throughout high school, hearing all of these stereotypes and racism and um gaining more perspectives, educating myself um I've lived several years surrounded by you know um all these different bombarding thoughts, and you come to the point where it's like you don't you don't know what to do, um but
1: you feel very paralyzed exactly
0: like it's 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 so numbing and you don't know where to stand like whether you should make a stand and I think that's where self-awareness really comes in um because I think mental health is a definitely definitely a big thing within this topic that is behind the lines of everything and and the things that people don't see and uh Could you explain more about the black lives matter movement uh for those who may not know much about it what are like the misconceptions about them and how are they portrayed on social media
1: sure so officially the organization of like black lives matter was founded after the acquittal of trayvon martin's murder which happened in i think july of 2013 is when they launched and basically Their goal is to like eradicate white supremacy and quote from the website, build local power to intervene in violence inflicted on Black communities by the state and vigilantes. So importantly, um, the part said is by the state. So it's a recognition that like the society we live in, like there are structures as part of the society that kill and hurt Black people. What they also do is create space basically for like joy and imagination, like creativity for Black folks. And through that, it's like, you can't always focus on, like, the grief and rage. Like, that can't be 100% of a praxis because that's just not sustainable. Like, it that's so unsustainable. So, they also balance it with, like, celebrating joy, creating spaces for joy, and basically trying to, I think, give a a larger picture of what Black humanity looks like in this country. And also in other countries, like, Black Lives Matter is also in, like, the UK and Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, so, while the organization is, like, they do have, like, a, an official organization, it's also like a very like loose umbrella network. So like people are encouraged like to start chapters. And so that's the kind of confusing part part with people. Um, But yeah, they both exist. And in all the spaces for Black Lives Matter, they really, really affirm like black folks are on the margins of even like black liberation movements, like queer folks, trans folks, undocumented people, people with records and really trying to affirm that like everyone is in this together it's not just like one idea of like like the black male trope that was very Mm much celebrated in the civil rights movement and some misconceptions so i think just to say since since george floyd was murdered since like about may that week of may 26th from the new york times there's been about more than 4,700 demonstrations since that time, and that's averaging about 140 per day across the country.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And just to say, so this is a lot of people getting involved, and a lot of people like creating chapters, creating groups, which is totally important. A lot of the time, with the misconception about the movement, is that, and just to let me say, there are like a lot of different organizations working for Black lives, for example, like Movement for Black Lives. Um, so a lot of times when there's all these things moving, there's all these things moving. Um, a lot of the misconceptions and backlash come when violence happens or like when looting was happening, property looting, and a lot of the conservatives and folks who are like, I guess, watching from the outside and when they see like the looting or see violence, um, it gets labeled as extremist and un-American. And even from that, you have to ask yourself, like, what does that even mean? Like, what is American defined as for something to be un-American? And in this country, like American is largely defined as white, as based in property. So basically things have like a financial value or else they don't mean anything. Exploiting others, being complicit in systems that hurt others. And this is on a global level too. So um, like thinking about like, wow, like I'm able to, I personally, like I'm able to go to Target and buy a very cheap shirt, but that like, was made by someone who's not getting paid anything. So this is also like a global thing of just American society. So, and it's always been racialized as something American is white. So a lot of the misconceptions happen when, for example, what I've seen at least a little couple in the weeks prior was that like a lot of people being like, no one should resort to violence, like this looting thing, like what is happening? Like this is distorting the message. First, I want to say that like a lot of, these organizations and groups of people when they do actions are specifically made to be nonviolent and no one's going like protesting. There's a difference between protesters and looters. Like really, there really is. Mm-hmm. And people are not organizing these actions with the intention of we're gonna loot and destroy. Like that I honestly that's never the case. And there's been cases I won't go into like outside agitators coming in, like just really just shady things where people are taking it's easy to take advantage of a situation that's already marginalized let's put it that way so right if a protest or talking about black lives matter is already marginalizing marginalizing in this society it's very easy for someone to take advantage of that by looting by doing all the like there's because because they're not um because black lives matter is very contentious right mm. i don't it shouldn't be but in this country it still is and because of that, there's no there's no safety net when things I guess like kind of get beyond control of what was intended. And I think when it comes to, like social media and the media, um I think you have to think about like the media has an incentive to tell a story for their viewers for money reasons. um, I would just recommend my only recommendation is honestly to just consume your media from different places and it's so, like consuming everything from Twitter might not be healthy for you. Know your
0: sources. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just,
1: just, just have like a balanced plate of things that you're looking at and limit your screen time on it. I think it's, and I'll talk a little bit about that more, but I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, there's not, it's because Black Lives Matter is not just one group of people. It's never been just one group of people. And mm-hmm. so that's why I really think there's so much like, all over the place contention about it because yeah like it's a lot of different groups and people like everyone's not identical and that's totally fine but yeah it can get it gets messy when the media has to say one message when the movement is not just one thing so i'll leave it at that
0: touch upon this on our last talk how um social media like it's so easy for us to pinpoint or find reasons um, as to why people are wrong or the negatives, It's so easy to look at the negatives over the positive. Unfortunately, that's what our consumer's eye um, looks for, right? Um, we have nothing to do in quarantine, so we'll find so many different perspectives on social media that can be distorted or just not said nicely. Um, so I really agree with you on that, how a lot of people will will argue that you know, yeah, but all lives matter, yes, that's that's very true, like no one said that um that it that isn't true, but there's just it's just been long overdue, and everyone des- deserves um the respect and the freedom of speech and um just this American life that that we've been told is real and that we're supposed to have like it's not fair for other people to um, watch other people thrive while at the same time they're putting people down and um, it's just a lot (laughs) looking more deeper within that because we can talk a lot about how people could be racist but Again, it, it there's always a core at it all, and it has happened for many, many years and generations, which is um, structural racism, right? Um, uh, what are some examples that, that you know within structural racism that has happened and is continuing today? Okay,
1: so uh, to think about structural racism, if uh, you're new to hearing the term, I think a lot of times on social media, for example, there's a lot of examples of like outing one specific person or these instances that get filmed, right? Racism, while it happens on an individual level, hundred percent like Pauline, like you said, has a court, it happens on a structural level, on a bigger level. So basically we're thinking about racism as both prejudice and power together to maintain privilege. So, and power, and power is the important part here. And so some of the examples I'm gonna give have been like historic they're historically relevant and they like basically sort of like the afterlife of it still exists so for example <laughs> the housing market banks oh. access to health care hospital care medical care schools civic engagement pathways such as like voting or running for politics public like transportation access access to food getting a job and remembering that in this country that these examples were like a national set of laws. Like they were a law at a time. Like we're not super far removed from history. Uh-huh. And so to get more specific, uh, redlining, which is basically systematically denying mortgages or loans to people of color, particularly in urban areas. Mm-hmm. And and that started in the 1930s and was backed by the government. So bas- basically banks and mortgage lenders would commonly reject people asking for a loan, like irregardless of their income of like, like their ability to like maintain their loan it just be strictly on race and or where they lived because so much of wealth in this country is defined as like home equity
0: mm-hmm. and
1: like the wealth of your house that has like specifically redlining has left such a huge legacy and and it's wild was the fair housing act is more than 50 years old mm-hmm. but still like Black and Latinx folks continually are denied mortgage loans that are, like, um, comparable to Whites. And that is from, like, the Center for Investigating Reporting. So if at any time you want any of these resources I'm quoting, like, we should have an after, like, I'll send all the notes. Yes. But basically, this analysis was done two years ago. And it said that Black applicants were turned away significantly at significantly higher rates than Whites in 48 cities, Latinos in 25, Asians in 9, and Native Americans in 3. And in D.C., which we were very close by, um, the investigation found that all four groups were significantly more likely to be denied a home loan than white people. And this is from two years ago. Wow. So another example of his, a structural racist, racism problem is voter suppression. We saw like in, I think it was in Kentucky, the, like the day before voting in, it was, I think in June, the day before voting in their primary, the city shut down. So much of the voting sites and mostly for black folks. And that was wow. the day before Jim Crow, if we know about segregation, Jim Crow segregation was law, like, can't have equal access to school. That shows in now with like de- defunding education um, in places that have less white parents and white students have less resources. And I, for example, when I, I went to Montgomery County Public Schools, I went to Blair. I love that school, <laughs> but we had like the largest student population out of all the schools in our county, but only like one registrar, for example, compared to like schools that are like in the W's and sort of like like Walt Whitman and a couple of schools that had mostly white populations mm-hmm. uh, where they're located, got a lot more resources. And you think about it mean that like basically like white parents have the means to advocating for more things. They're more deserving. Like mm-hmm. that is what the sort of intention is the oh, that. Wow. covid disproportionately killing black and brown people because of these structures so like this virus is disproportionately killing black folks employment th- discrimination and over representation of black people in correctional spaces so mm-hmm. and policing coming out of the lodges of slave control like, that's basically where it's coming from and oh man just to give some effects how they're still today Using data from US Census data from 2016, the Brookings Institute in February of this year told us that the net worth of a typical white family versus the net worth of a typical black family. So we're thinking 171,000 versus 17,000. Mm-hmm. Um, that is wild. Wow. When we would think about. Um, the structural racism that's inherent in medical spaces. Black women are 200% more likely to die from childbirth-related complications than white women. And the Black baby mortality rate is, I think, about double that of white babies. Mm -hmm. And if we're thinking about in Maryland, I didn't know this until today, actually. So according to the Justice Policy Institute, this is this year, more than 70% of all people in Maryland's prisons double the national average. Um, double the national average and almost 80% of people serving at least 10 years are Black in Maryland. What? So that is saying that, so Maryland incarcerates three, I'm not sure if this is also like jails. I think just in general, it said Maryland incarcerated about 3,000 people. Don't quote me on that. But the overwhelming majority are Black people. And yeah, so the national average, it's one in three Black men specifically will be incarcerated or affected by the criminal like incarcerated in their lifetime. So Maryland is at 70%. Sorry, this is a lot of data I took in today, but basically that is more than half. Like that is that is in our own state where we are right now. And so when I think about structural racism, it's really remembering that like we are not separate from history in the systems that have defined American history. Like they live very much, they just live in different ways. And I think the hard part is I think a lot of people want to associate like I'm not a bad person I didn't do any Uh of these specific things Uh and it's like this isn't about you it's about structures like and we all because we live in this country we all participate in these structures that's it that's it like it's not about you specifically and but the change starts with you and I think that distinction hasn't needs to keep being recycled over and over again. I'm
0: really speechless as to hearing all of that and It's true that I think, yes, uh, we can't disagree that we have evolved since like Jim Crow laws and all of that happening, Um, we've definitely evolved, but I think it was, it's more of a, like in the social aspect as to like what we were being exposed to online and like integrating a little bit more, giving people rights, but again, it has to start from the bottom Um, And that's why we are seeing all these cycles, these reoccurring things, because, you know, a black individual will get shot and it just be a normal thing on the news. And and it's very true that you see black individuals on the news more frequently than you see uh, white folks. Um, Yes, we can be supported online, but um, it's so much bigger than that. I guess we can move on um, to. Colorism. Um, I know that's like a a different jump but uh, I definitely want to discuss this as well because for me being Filipino uh, I do believe that we can do better as a Filipino community and this is not me bashing and of course there are um, many other ethnic groups that we can all become better in terms of uh, paying respect and loving one another and um, seeing past color how have you seen colorism um, today? And have you ever seen or witnessed any uh, colorism within your family or your loved ones?
1: Sure. So I think uh, one caveat to what you said was um, a mindset that I've been trying to practice more and that I've seen a lot of educational circles, for like, for example, with teachers who work with a lot of different like students, um, is that the goal shouldn't be to see past color, but really to understand how does how does color like affect all of us mm-hmm. and it's not like a bad thing, particularly it's like also taking into account of structures. So for example, like the connection between colorism and racism, if I'll make that clear is that like skin color continues to be like the most like obvious criteria for like how someone will be like judged or treated. And that's just and so that also regards to like how racist structures work social media wise I think I've been seeing a lot like the whole like light skin (laughs) black skin sort of thing but it's basically like this is how light skins act and it's and I used to to just be like so like like laughable and cringy and I feel like maybe I don't know if this is like something for like folks a little bit younger than me I don't even feel that old like I personally did not really grow up talking about that or maybe I just wasn't in circles where that was like a like a sort of like a recurring like oh like trope with light skin Mm. maybe I just wasn't involved in
0: that I think it's definitely like the younger generation I think it's blowed up
1: (laughs) yeah it's just it's I think of it as like an unchecked colorism bias and like it's not helpful like it's not helpful to anyone and Mm. um like if people and understand what colorism is and I think it's a global thing so it doesn't matter if you're black like it doesn't matter if you're white like there always is a preference like within a group and between groups to favor light lighter skin. Um and like there's all all these reasons for that. Based on like based on like culture and like historical things. A lot of it's rooted in anti blackness. Um I'll leave it at that. Mm-hmm. But it's just I really enough, I feel like I can't even answer this question very well because I I was really lucky to grow up oops, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was really lucky to grow up, like, my parent, like, complete, all right. She busy. <laughs> not really, but I, know. <laughs> you know, I grew up just, like, my dad being very, like, he's an East Asian dude. And, like, I clearly do not look East Asian. Like, I just, I'm brown. And that's just what it is. And we're, like, I never was talked down because of being brown. But at the same time, I also was never affirmed for being brown. Does that make sense? Basically, no. it was just silence. Um, And I don't think people in our families come at us. And with the intention of hurting us, it's so unchecked. It's like you grow up, like, three years old, your mom your dad being like, oh, no, you're going to get dark. Like, it's, it's just, mm. like, people aren't thinking about it because it's so normalized, but it's so, like, dangerous. It, it has, like, real cost effects for people, like, for specifically for Black people. Like, the very normalized association between dark skin and criminality. So, for example, I have an example for you. Yes. So, in the book... <laughs> So in 2013, a couple researchers found that Black BML students with dark skin were three times more likely to be suspended at school than their light, light-skinned African-American counterparts. So this has even nothing to do with white people yet. Like, oh. within the same group, it's just like colorism, as much as like I see on social media, it's almost like a personal conversation to have with your family, with yourself, with your friends. It also has like systematic consequences for people. And I think that's the important part of it, about it. Yeah, and just, like, the history of everything. Why, like, why is darkness seen as ugly, as criminal, as... It's, it's, it's so historical. It's so historical that that's a a whole different conversation. But remembering (laughs) that, like, it's not a bad thing to acknowledge, I think, someone's color. Because think about it, like, if in our work, in our personal relationships, understanding that the color of someone's skin can have real consequences Yeah. into account. So I, I really like it with like, in teacher conversations now, like teachers trying to understand, like they also have unchecked colorism bias and trying to understand like, oh, like if one of my students is being like suspended and I like, I'm the home teacher, one of my students got suspended by another teacher for something that happened, like on the playground or something, advocating for that student, like, not automatically thinking, oh, yeah, that's just normal. Mm-hmm. It's really helpful to see in, like, educator circles, I recommend. No, I just feel lucky. Like, I I think the silence of not talking about it in my family was also not helpful. Oh. I think as I got older, it wasn't helpful. But again, I don't think that my family has the language to, I think, affirm, affirm talking about colorism, I think, in, like, a constructive way or even talking about it at all. It's just... Um, on my Black side of the family, like, everyone is different colors. And I think I just grew up with an assumption of understanding Blackness as being just so spectrum because, like, my mom mm-hmm. was, like, chocolate. Mm-hmm. Like, my uncle was, like, dark chocolate. But my aunts are very, like, pale. And, like, but they're all siblings. And right. like, it's hard to... That always was normal to me. It's, like, Blackness can look very different. And so I think that's why my family never talked about it um, because that assumption was always there. And I think that... While I appreciate that, I really wish I had that conversation yeah, growing up. Yeah.
0: Um and for me and my at least in my family, colorism, um, wasn't really like a thing which I'm very grateful for and like it's always been like an open uh conversation. Um, especially, you know, with my brother uh, being black. And but I would see it, you know, within other social circles and it's so ironic because again it's like Preference and like a culture's preference, so someone who's light skinned would sometimes really want to be darker or get tanner right, and um people who are darker skin uh prefer to be lighter, so it's like like you said it doesn't it's not a matter of being black or white, although I think a lot of it has to do with you know what you said like anti blackness and it's just really weird, and it really has to do with what we're exposed to like we're surrounded by billboards where the majority, at least in Asia, um, there's a lot of billboards with just people who have really light skin, who um, who look happy and look healthy and look successful, be and all of them are white. And uh, it's I saw videos of um, people talking about like their their insecurities and what they wish they would change differently about themselves, and a lot of them said about their skin they wish they were lighter uh, because yeah, be penal yeah 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 and you know success being rich having credibility you get that from being lighter and there's just so many whitening products out there and i think what also ties in with that is like um the insecurities that we are uh brought up with and like telling us how we should look like and then being conscious about how we look and not liking and disliking stuff about us it it really comes down to how you're raised what conversations are being talked about what's being exposed and uh, what you're doing with that information you know
1: and like i think about how like at least in this country in my in some other countries i assume too is like the figures of success historically or what has been represented has been white people lightness and white people so it also can time with religion, with like representations of religious leaders being like, it seems like whiteness is closer to holiness or like the light, yes. the sky, mm-hmm. purity, uh, purity versus, and so the antithesis of that is blackness. Like it's just always been like that, like darkness to the earth, not high, low. Honestly, I think uh, specifically in this country context, maybe for a lot of children of immigrant parents, it seen that like aligning yourself closer to things that are white. Whether this be like how you dress, how you speak, your interests um, is honestly, I think, viewed as like a protective mechanism. Like we came here and we want the best for you. And what's defined as the best for you in this country is things that are closer to whiteness. And like, and this is coming from like, yes, like it's wild because it's it seemed like, huh, like the success of being whiteness, like of whiteness is like having money having safety, having freedom, having rights. Mm -hmm. And because in this country that is defined as such like a racial thing, when people who are not white, our parents are trying, like, if they came here trying to get a better, something better for us, even if it's like just more opportunity, it's always trying to align towards like having rights, safety, freedom, but those are racialized as white in this country. So it's always aligned towards whiteness. And that is like, it's a very hard balance because, Uh, people maybe parents came here with an idea of sacrificing like in their own context like I gave up everything I had everything I knew to be to like be in this new situation which is hard and when all the images of success are defined or are racialized as white it's like er things become so internalized with the way people parent their children how they walk in this world like and, and some people don't even have that have that privilege to do that to even do that Mm. which is just like oh so it's it's a lot it's a lot um (laughs) yeah so i think think when people are encouraged to talk to their families about this i've seen that a lot we're like talk to your families talk to your families talk to your families i think understanding that the sort of language to understand the specific u.s historical situation that not everyone knows that and that shouldn't be like a just taken for granted thing I think that a lot of people feel like, again, like, I don't know enough, or like, I'm not black, or I am can feel a degree of separation from it, um, uh-huh. which makes us like feel like this is not directly tied. And to- then we
0: never address it later on, because it's just like a side thought. Yeah, And in that moment, like, we could be
1: doing very problematic things. And it's a small things too. It's like being at a gas station. And a black person pulls up, and you lock in your door. Right. It's like these small things right. that people aren't thinking about. But like when you learn about systems and where that internalized stuff comes from, you're like, oh, okay. So now I can see that, and now I can make changes, and spur change, and talk to people, and use my platform to make things a little bit better. And in, in the in the way that I can, and like even thinking about like so so many people get like. So like defensive when like white privilege is talked about. And I think just as someone who's like, I'm black, but I don't present as black. Like I benefit from a lot of like anti-black systems that hurt black people because I don't look black. And it's just, and I don't feel guilty. About, like I don't feel shamed about that. Like I don't, I'm like, okay, like I understand. I just understand that's how I was born in this world. And as someone who values my society And people and a collective, Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. want to make changes to make things right, to do the one thing a day I can to make things right. We definitely
0: pulled out, Alani pulled out a bunch of facts for you guys and we can talk more and more about um, the issues that are happening and it's it's everywhere and it's inevitable and you'll run into it every single day. But the the most important reason why we're here is to talk about what we can do. And like Alani said and I think I was in the same boat as to what she was saying, how I feel like i don't have enough um knowledge or maybe you're in a space where like you really don't know what to do whether what you do is right or wrong or is enough but it's just that one seed that we can plant that really makes a difference so uh, let's talk about change and what we can do um, no matter what platform or what Um, level I guess in society we're at or where we are in life Um, let's talk about change and what we can do so what what would you say the essential steps are for someone who has decided right at this moment of listening to our podcast okay I want to do something I'm motivated and I have the heart and mind to do it but I don't know what to do so what would you say? First
1: thing is a very tangible thing if you have an Amazon Prime account um, and you pay like the monthly, like what is it, member fee? Take cancel that, and take that money to make a recurring donation to a black-led, like grassroots organization or mutual mm-hmm. aid. That's like one very tangible thing. And I think it's twelve ninety nine for a monthly, or like anything that you have a recurring monthly subscription. I think honestly, reevaluating. For example, like my Spotify account now, I'm, in, like I have like a. I'm in a family plan so like I don't that's one sort of like subscription I was able to take away and take that money I was paying for myself to go into recurring monthly donations so it's even something like that I think first not feeling guilt of not feeling like I'm not doing enough mm-hmm. and especially for my folks listening who are like young people you are a person of color like you are not white like this is for you um this it can feel a lot of pressure and I feel this too like I'm in this position where like I can't be doing enough and I want to tell you right now like these small steps you do do what you can where you are yes. like that's what's super yes. important and feeling not feeling guilty about not doing enough not doing enough no 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 structural issues affect people of color too we all live under white supremacy that's what it is so don't feel guilty about not doing enough just you do what you can i'd say look at a uh, mutual aid so these are local groups montgomery county is pretty good at it but local groups that basically like, are tangibly helping folks that like can't pay for their groceries, can't have access to food, need like support. And especially when you think about Black Lives Matter and stuff, there's so many structural barriers that like we don't even think about. Um, I don't even think about mm-hmm. like someone's inability to like, I can't access buying food this week for my kids. Like, And just so moving money to people who are working with those folks. And like we're buying 30 grocery cars a giant for people doing some money. It's just stuff like mm-hmm. that because your dollars speak so just being mindful of where you're putting your dollars um i'm talking as someone who's unemployed and like i'm personally expended of dollars to do this um so i think something i've been trying to do is in this time of like not having money unfortunately we live in a society where money speaks like ah ah that's the truth so i think a lot of times like if you're in a position where you have disposable income to just be moving it to people who do not have that position to have disposable income is really important. Um, With your socials or just like in your own circles, just elevating Black voices, stories, media, products, services. um, Really, and making that, normalizing that. um, I think what happened a couple of weeks ago is so many people were doing it and like, of course, it dies down. And I think just understanding that like, it dying, things dying down didn't mean they ever disappeared or they ever lacked loss or importance. And the scary thing about like social media and the way we consume information now is like we're very, we look at it for like two seconds and it keep, we keep yeah. scrolling. Like we yeah. live in a scrolling society, right? I would say another thing. So just be a little con- cognizant of that. And honestly, I would say limit your screen time. And the problem the problem that i think just in general the society struggles with is that we haven't been able to define what to do with all this information we consume like mental health wise yeah no one like no one's figured out adults everyone people who made these apps no one has figured out how do people deal with that rather because just we just keep consuming right but what is the effects that that does for your own mental health for your relationships and so just being cognizant of that so thinking about social media is not life and it's hard because during this pandemic social media and the internet is like the ways that we connect to people now like that's just what it is but just remembering that that is not life like this is not life and your brain and mind and soul needs a break from the screen. And I'll add
0: that like Sometimes you don't need to share that you've supported, like it's good as if you have a platform like I do or any other influencer, you don't need to tell any everybody about it too, you know, like that's why I think understanding perspective and encouraging empathy within your family and your loved ones that's stuff your followers don't see um and things that can really ch- bring change,
1: yeah, and a lot of times when you make like donations or something. You don't have to tell people about it. Like it mm-hmm. should,
0: it should. It's be already just... out there. Like it's already expected, right?
1: I know for some Black folks being like, "Give me the receipts for your donations." I honestly think that's fine, but like they're not projecting that for the public. It's just like DM me if you like saw this and like actually care. Like, and I I have thoughts about that, but I, like I I'm not judging when people. Do it's fine. Mm-hmm. But just like basically going into your actions, not expecting Anything. a reward, yeah, recognition, and just. And it's really these small things it really is and unfortunately like capitalism we live in a capitalist society we won't talk about capitalism but the way let's say social media the way social media projects things is that everyone's an individual like kylie jenner did it all by herself um beyonce did it all by herself and like even like people social justice advocates are always seen as like one person and capitalism really thrives on that narrative of individualism no everyone got somewhere because of other people, of a team, their team, of their Mm -hmm. networks. Like, no one is, no one does this life by themselves. And so when you think about trying to make a change, remembering that there's so many people like you who are also just doing what they can to make changes, like, without, like, just feeling like they're part of a collective, which I think is important. So I I feel like something that's actually tangible for folks is, like, calling like some of your peers to do like a learning group calling your peers to do like a learning group with a donation aspect of it like we're gonna read this this week let's all pitch in 10 bucks to donate to x next week y so we're asking like 10 dollars a week for people who have more means you know more Mm -hmm. money so it's just Mm -hmm. sometimes that can help to not feel like you're alone in this movement is just if you even have a collection of like two or three friends, you're like every week, y'all just talk about something together and be like, oh, like this week, like let's research a place we can put our donation this week. If you don't want to do a recurring donation, just so small stuff like that just makes things feel like it's in for the long term. And this really is a long term thing. Mm. Surviving is really an act of, wow, like blessings on blessings. Being here as like, as me, as you, just like being here in this moment is based upon sacrifices of people. And, you know, just, um, these really small things like being a witness is really important back when things this pandemic didn't happen just i lived in new york city and it was really helpful because there's a sort of ethos sometimes like on the subway have mm. it a couple times like considering your own safety as well but like intervening in things that i felt like i wouldn't get punched or slashed or something if we saw like someone was having like, mental health crisis and the cops were coming like and getting off the train a lot of people it was like me and like maybe one other person got off the train just to witness. It mm. just looked like we're here just to witness, be a witness. So it's really these small things of understanding how controlling systems, racist systems really play out in the very mundane, everyday, very, very, very small things. Like it really is. So that's why I think in social media now, like there's so much emphasis on like people filming these very individual actions that happen. Okay, that's fine. People are really putting a record witness to it by having it on film. Um, but the challenge with that happens, when like, okay, now we're consuming all this. What exactly. do we do? It can feel very bad. Exactly. So it's it's honestly like a balance. Anyone listening to this, like, it's a balance and it's uncomfortable. There's no perfect way to to be in this movement. There really isn't. A lot of people also be saying like, oh, there's these small things like they don't matter. The same with like voting and being like, it's just you. It doesn't matter. You not doing it also doesn't help. Like even right. if it's like the minutest drop, yes, it's better than not putting the drop in. Like mm-hmm. um, that's the thing that just baffles me about a lot of things. Um, and remembering to care about it, like the society, American society, there's no incentive to care about Black lives. There's there's no incentive. There really isn't. Think about what you're going to do with that information. Like why is it that? you shouldn't need an incentive to understand someone's humanity and black lives Mm. matter. Like it's not, it's very much a humanitarian issue too. So if you feel like you benefit from having a family, your own family, your children, family, having friends, being able to go to school, having a safe home, realizing that like that is predicated upon, upon other people not having that Mm. um, in this society specifically. And so what are you going to do with that information? So it's a small stuff, people this is so cliche. This is so cliche. But like Mary Kochiama said that honestly, the most powerful thing for you to do is speak. Yeah. Like she specifically was talking for like young women of color, use your voice, like speak and tell the truth. Again, like Pauline, like you're talking about self-awareness, understand how that has affected you personally, but then going forward and seeing how has that affected people I know? How has that affected all the spaces I've been a part of? It's really everywhere. When you really start like learning and questioning what's around you you see how like
0: thing dude like it's like um with the self-awareness thing you're only really self-aware if you really get in tune with yourself and what you believe and what you think and what you say what your habits are what your day-to-day is and it's definitely a journey that's why it's like you said it's a long-term thing um but having that awareness and and then developing that awareness of other people, um, that's super important because if we didn't have that, if we didn't have the ability to do that, then we would be, which is we have the tendency of doing sometimes as a nation is to just uh, jump on the bandwagon and and wait for something to happen as to um, figuring out what I can do personally and and uh, applying it to ourselves because we can easily point our fingers at people. We can easily point at the situations, the limitations, and the circumstances that we're in. It's definitely a choice, and literally every action has a consequence, positive or negative. So that is where self-awareness definitely comes um, comes in place, and if you are very worried about how People will think of you, um, remember the power, like you said, the power that you have in your voice. And these are just little distractions that will just prevent you from participating and and involving in this change that we are trying, have been trying to bring about. It's it's definitely a journey and a process. And uh, with the life that you have, just do the little things, like you said, just do the little things and it will make a big impact at the end.
1: A lot of, I think a lot of people think getting involved in means like, oh, I have to feel comfortable talking in front mm-hmm. of people. Like, I have to feel comfortable. Like, there are introverts in this movement. There are people who are antisocial in this movement. they yes. like, it's, and it's all, again, self-awareness. And just really, I keep saying it because not to take it lightly, but just really taking, understanding what you can do in this moment. And like, honestly, what you can do will change over time. Like, what I can do now is going to look a lot different than what I can do five years from now, I think. If you want to have a family one day like what are the actions now that will speak to how i raise the next generation of who inherits if if i'm
0: able to stay get in tune with my body and understand what i'm experiencing then someone else must have must be in the same journey of like their own self-awareness and at the end of the day you being by yourself and only you and it only being about you doesn't matter in a sense where it's like like we have our own narratives but we're also living in someone else's story i think that's a good way to picture on answering the question like why should i care just like let's continue to spread awareness and also positivity and,
1: and especially right now like, it's not enough just to say something move your money protest like cook for people have a discussion
0: have a conversation like me and lania having don't feel like you have to numb yourself.
1: That is that is like honestly like the number one hardest thing is like, I think in, to ba- to combat the feeling of having to, like feeling numb with all this information is the practice of becoming self-aware. So like, recognizing, oh gosh, I'm feeling numb. What are the things I can do to, to kind of push away that feeling? Because numbing also, it spurs inaction. It spurs a- apathy. So understanding it's okay to be overwhelmed. I would recommend not staying in that space forever. Um, it's not—it's not a fun space to stay in forever, for sure. And if you really care about these things and care about seeing change, feeling numb will not
0: get you or anyone else anywhere. made it this far thank you so much and i hope you really like that conversation thank you alani for um being willing to talk and i'm so honored to be able to use my platform for your voice because i definitely learned a lot from you and um from this information that i've learned today and hopefully you guys um use it and and figure out ways to bring on this change but would you like to um, say anything else any final words to the audience?
1: Um, I want to say thank you, Pauline, for um, starting this conversation. And um, I know when you reached out, you're like, "I've been sitting on this, not really knowing how to approach starting this conversation."
0: Yeah, it wasn't easy. Though. Yeah,
1: and <laughs> you being vulnerable and open to be like, "But I want to do something," like that was like so like inspiring to me. And I'm like, "This is how the change happens." Like, hmm. people decide. Like, Yes. So I want to say thank you. And I hope that I hope that someone feels hopeful after this, like um, these things, these structures, like these systems are complicated and messy and very hard. And it's uncomfortable to think about, let alone think about changing um, if you benefit from it. So um, just understand, like, you know, it's it's a lifelong commitment and it's not all tears and rage like there's a great joy in it too so um i leave it at that you're you are welcomed in this moment like mm, yes that's all i
0: have to say yes and if you have any further feedback or thoughts please just hit us up and let's continue the conversation if you have any ideas as to how we can Become better as a community, please don't hesitate to let us know. And if you benefited from this episode, if you learned something, please, please share it with everyone you know, your family, your friends, even snippets of it, post it, repost it, do whatever you can. And of course, I'm not the only platform. There's so many other people in this movement uh, trying to bring on change, and I'm just one person, but of course, with everyone involving themselves and participating you can definitely bring out a big change if not to the world then at least to our communities so yeah uh that's it for today's episode thank you guys so much for listening i'll catch you guys in the next episode and don't forget to always love to always be curious and to always ponder